0: My name is Stephanie Andrews, and I'm a lawyer in McCabe Curwood's litigation and dispute resolution
1: team. I'm joined here today by Talia Mason. Hi, everyone. I'm a rotating graduate in McCabe Curwood's 2020 graduate program. We welcome you to this episode of Trial by Podcast.
0: We do. Now, Talia, I understand you have a few questions for me in relation to subpoenas to produce.
1: Yeah. While we came across subpoenas at a high level at university, I was hoping you could go a little deeper into what a subpoena actually is and how they're used in practice. Definitely. Great. Well, why don't we start with the basics? What is a subpoena?
0: A subpoena is a legal document that is issued by the court at the request of a party to a proceeding. A subpoena can either be a subpoena to produce, compelling a third party to produce documents, or a subpoena to give evidence compelling a third party to attend a hearing to give evidence as a witness. A subpoena may also be for both the production of documents and giving of evidence at court. To keep things simple, though, we will focus on subpoenas to produce today. These subpoenas are an important and powerful tool in litigation, as they effectively allow a litigant to coerce the power of the state through a court order to obtain evidence from others that they would not otherwise have been privy to. This additional information can then be used by the party to bolster their case. Common examples of information you may subpoena include phone records, medical records, or an employment file. It is important to note, though, that a subpoena is distinct from a notice to produce. While they effectively serve a similar function, subpoenas are issued to third parties. A notice to produce, on the other hand, is used to compel another party to litigation to produce documents.
1: Okay. So what are some things to consider when drafting a subpoena? Is there any restriction on what we can request? Good question.
0: A subpoena must not be addressed to more than one person. If you intend to serve a subpoena in a company, you must address the subpoena to its appropriate or proper officer at the company's registered address. The schedule sets out documents or things to be produced. At a high level, the materials sought must be identified with enough particularity that the addressee understands what it is they have to produce, and they must be of adjectival relevance to the issues in the proceedings. That is, the materials sought must have an apparent relevance to the issues in the proceedings. Further, the subpoena must not be oppressive or create an unduly onerous burden on the recipient, nor may it be used for an abusive process. It's a common industry phrase that a subpoena must not be used as a fishing expedition. This means that the issuing party cannot send out a wide, all-encompassing subpoena hoping to catch a document that might be relevant and useful to their case. The subpoena instead must serve a legitimate forensic purpose tied to the proceedings. Finally, a subpoena must also be filed at the
1: registry or online through JusticeLink before it can be served. Okay, so once you've identified the documents you want to obtain and who you can obtain them from, how do you serve the subpoena? The service rules for serving a subpoena differ between individuals
0: and companies. If the subpoena is addressed to an individual, the subpoena must be personally served on them. This means the subpoena must be personally handed to the recipient. However, the rules relating to service on companies are regulated by the Corporations Act. Under section 109X, service can be affected by leaving the subpoena at or posting it to the company's registered office. Alternatively, it can be personally served on a director of the company. In practice, we serve subpoenas on companies by way of express post. The tracking number is important should we later need to prove delivery. Any and all subpoenas served must also be served on other parties to the proceedings as well. Additionally, a subpoena must be served at least five business days before the production date. This time period extends to 14 calendar days if the subpoena is being served interstate and 21 calendar days if it is being served on a medical expert.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Now, I've heard the terms conduct money and compliance costs thrown around the office. How do they come into play? These are actually two different things. I'll start with conduct money. For a subpoena
0: to give evidence, the recipient does not have to comply unless they are given a sufficient amount of money to cover their travel expenses for attending court prior to the date of their attendance. This money is known as conduct money. However, there is no equivalent rule in issuing subpoenas to produce. While it is usually still best practice to provide a cheque for conduct money with the subpoena, you are not required to by law and the recipient must comply with a subpoena to produce, irrespective of whether they have received conduct money. Compliance costs, on the other hand, refer to the reimbursement for costs reasonably incurred in complying with the subpoena. These compliance costs may include legal fees or archiving retrieval fees, for example. However, again, an argument about the payment of compliance costs is not a legitimate reason to refuse production. Compliance costs can be negotiated between the recipient and the issuing party after compliance.
1: All right, so the subpoena has now been served, conduct money has been provided, and the recipient has collated the requested documents. How do we get access to the documents? Are they sent to us directly? All produced documents must be sent to
0: the court. The subpoena recipient can produce these documents by either posting the documents to the registry at least two business days before the return date, emailing them to the registry, uploading them to the online registry where they can later be downloaded, or attending court on the return date and producing the documents in person. Once the documents have been produced, the issuing party then needs to seek an access order from the court in the return of subpoena list. Normally, the parties negotiate access orders prior to appearing in the list. It's typical for parties to seek general access orders, meaning both parties can access and inspect the documents at the same time. However, if the documents contain commercially sensitive material, the party whom documents relate to may seek to have first access to those documents for a period of, for example, seven days before the other side is allowed to inspect. Once the access orders have been granted and processed in the court system, the parties may download the materials in accordance with these access orders. If the documents were physically produced, you must instead attend the registry to inspect and make copies.
1: What if a party claims that the documents requested are privileged? Another good question, and that's not unheard of.
0: Privileged documents must still be produced. However, they are typically produced in a separate packet marked privileged. Typically, the party who the privilege is owed will seek first access to the documents to review the materials and either assert privilege or withdraw their claim. If a claim for privilege is challenged, the party claiming privilege may have to articulate the basis of their claim, for example, giving further particulars about the type of documents they are claiming privilege over and the basis upon which their privilege is claimed. If the claim cannot be resolved, The party challenging the claim must file a notice of motion. Are there any consequences for failing to comply with a subpoena? A failure to comply without lawful excuse is a contempt of court. If a party does want to challenge a subpoena, it's prudent to first discuss this with the issuing party. The parties should attempt to negotiate the scope of the subpoena. If they cannot agree, then the recipient can file a notice of motion seeking to have the subpoena set aside. If successful, the issuing party may be liable for the recipient's costs. It is so important to ensure you've drafted the subpoena appropriately to avoid having costly fights over the
1: validity of a subpoena later. Definitely. Well, I think that might be all we have time for today. There are definitely a number of lessons there to take home.
0: Thank you for helping me unpack the topic, Talia. Subpoenas are an intrinsic part of litigation. It's important to understand what they are, how they can be utilised and what you need to do to ensure they are deployed properly. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this latest episode of Child By Podcasts. Please remember to review us on iTunes or SoundCloud so that others can find us and listen. If you have a particular topic you would like considered, please get in contact with us directly. You can find the details on our website at www.mccabecurwood.com.au. We hope you join us again next episode.